0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education, I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher and creator of the online resource theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the inclusive class this morning is my
2: co-host, Terry
1: Morrow. Hi Terry.
2: Good morning Nicole and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 ways to support your child's special education and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, but I will open up the chat room if you'd like to stop in and suggest a question. I'll try to work it in if we have time. I'm very happy to be broadcasting to you today from my living room with my dog walking around as opposed to from my car with some yes. temperatures. As uh, in our last podcast, it was a, a delight and an honor to talk to Temple Grandin, but, man, it was hot in the minivan. So it's <laughs> much more comfortable here. And I have coffee with me, so that's good. And you have occur. coffee, yes. And coincidentally, she was broadcasting from her car as well. Yes, so yes. We had a whole so, uh, theme going on. See, we could, yeah, we could be like, you know, that we could be like the car podcast. That could be our gimmick, you know. Oh, the traveling we're show. Right. Yes, we're you in know? a car somewhere near you. If you can find us podcasting, <laughs> we will give you a pencil with the inclusive class on it. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's good to be creative and to. Uh, I wound up in my car again yesterday because I was supposed to interview something, somebody for my website, and then they never called. So I was just sitting in my car for forty minutes. But uh, wow. I'm starting to get used to it. You know, it's going to be like sometime during every day, I'm just going to go sit in the car, and uh, and hopefully reflect. talk to somebody <laughs> and get away from <laughs> students who are quite loud. Um, yeah, the, the exactly. You're a lot of time college, there. Yeah, the amount of volume in a college cafeteria is really quite impressive, and I'm sure it's the same in a high school. And a elementary school cafeteria, just the level of din when the room is full, uh, which, you know, goes right into our topic for today because I always, you know, those are always the time of day where a kid with, uh, you know, uh, sensory sensitivities regarding hearing is just going Mm -hmm. mad because you get into these big echoey rooms full of children making incredibly loud noises and then you're supposed to be able to concentrate on, you know, eating or doing physical activities or, you know, learning something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly not likely to happen. I can you know, it's hard to keep your thoughts when it's just so loud.
1: Crazy so loud. loud.
2: Well yes. and, and so yeah, as you
1: as you mentioned this past week we had um Dr. Temple Granning with us on the show and although we didn't spend too much time on the topic, she did touch on that very important point that you just yeah. brought up and that was sensory issues that So many of our kids, um, either with autism or without, have related issues or other special needs, um, that that they have to sort of work through when they're in an inclusive classroom or in a classroom in general, because boy, oh boy, in addition to the noise, you've got the fluorescent lights that are flickering overhead, the smelly markers, which I Uh tried to, I know when I was teaching, I had a ban on smelly markers because uh-huh. they made me sick, but um, air vents,
2: yeah. you know, bells, I mean, the list just goes on, so. Yeah, uh, I remember once you get into, like, junior high, if you have a, a school that's that's multitasking with its rooms, I know my daughter had a health class in the cafeteria uh, when, it was nice and quiet in the cafeteria then because it wasn't during, but the women were getting the food ready, so there would be all through the lesson. There was the smells of the food coming out, and then there was the clanking of the Spoons and stuff like that, and it was, Uh, you know, impossible to concentrate with that going on.
1: Yeah,
2: so there's resolve of challenges,
1: lots of things coming at you, and so I'm glad that we're going to be talking more about that today because that is a topic that I know myself and many people are interested in figuring out and working through for our kids and making these classrooms and schools more sensory friendly for students. So today we have a wonderful guest with us, and we are going to be talking to Nancy Pesky. Now, Nancy, I'm sorry, I did not clarify your last name with you before we got on the show. So am I pronouncing that correct? Pesky. That's, Pesky. that's correct. Okay, yes. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to make a mistake. So, Nancy, you are joining us here this morning, and uh, some people, well, I'm sure most people recognize your name because you're the co-author of a very popular book called Raising a Sensory Smart Child. That you wrote with Lindsay Beal, and we are very pleased to have you here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm always interested in opportunities to talk about sensory issues, particularly to um, people who are dealing with kids at schools, because as you mentioned, schools can just be sensory hell for kids.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's full of of all sorts of stuff, so before we get into the details of that, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and the work that you do and what your your interests are right now, what you're up to? Sure, I'm
0: a um, ghostwriter, developmental editor, and author, and I specialize in mind body spirit books. So when my son was diagnosed at age two with sensory processing issues. I I think in terms of books, so I went to the bookstore to get all those marvelous books on sensory issues to tell me everything I know. I mm-hmm. needed to know, and I realized that they didn't exist. That there they were books were there. that told us a little, but I needed to get his teeth brushed. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you know, and this was kind of the earlier days of the internet. This was maybe two thousand two or something, and. Uh, When I did searches for this, there there was just nothing out there, and I was desperate to get his teeth brushed and his shoes on so we could go outside. So uh, I ended up telling my tale of woe to my son's occupational therapist, Lindsay Beal, who was um, treating him as part of New York State's early intervention program. And... uh, she said, "Yeah, I know there's really no great books out there," and I always thought I should write one. And I said, "Well, that's funny because I work in book publishing, and I could get us published." And I and I right. basically ordered her to write a book for, with me. I said, "We're <laughs> writing a book, and it's going to be everything that I need to know and everything that you wish you had in a book form to give to your clients." Right. So that's that's the origin of the book. And you mentioned Temple Grandin earlier, and. Um, uh, Lindsay just cold-called Temple Grandin and said, would you mind giving us a foreword? And Temple said, absolutely, because she knows yeah. how big mm-hmm. of an issue this is. And yeah. uh, So that's that's kind of how we started. Um, and I still work in book publishing, and I still, I still write. But uh, I, that's how the book came about.
1: Wow, what a great story. And like you said, a lot of these, a lot of, sort of uh, issues that we come up against and that we're looking for information for, you know, sometimes it's up to us to provide it because <laughs> through experience yeah. and through trial by fire because, boy, uh, y- you know, there just isn't a lot of information out there for parents and teachers and on uh, certain things like, well, sensory processing. A little bit more these days, but I can imagine certainly mm-hmm. what it was like back in the early 2000s. So. And it's a great book. So glad you wrote it because it's... Mm-hmm. Well needed. Yes. N- N- oh, Terry, we're you going to. Oh. Uh, nope. No, no, ahead. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I thought I heard your voice there. Um, no. Nancy, can you then tell us, give us a brief description of what sensory processing disorder is? Then, just so our audience, sure. has a quick overview.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, we make sense of the world and what's happening in our bodies through our senses. Uh, We have receptors in our eyes, in our skin, our mouths, our ears, our joints and ligaments, and they take in information from inside our bodies and outside of us, and all of those signals go up to our brain where sensory information is processed. And we hope it's processed correctly so that we have a clear sense of what's going on. Sensory Mm -hmm. processing disorder happens in the brain where the signals get crossed. It's as if there is a traffic jam of signals. And one of, the, one of the pieces of that traffic jam is that the volume control on all of our senses is completely off. So a light, uh, a light touch or the flicker of a fluorescent light is so intense it completely throws you off and distracts mm-hmm. you. Or mm-hmm. it's the opposite where you can't feel the chair underneath you as you're sitting and so you keep falling off the chair. So it's it's a complete confusion, and we don't really think about this because most of us take our senses for granted, right, because it all works mm-hmm. perfectly. But mm-hmm. here, here's an example that you can try if if you're not in your car right now. Um, try standing on one foot, just balancing on one foot with your eyes open and fixing your eyes on a spot on the wall. And what, what happens is because your vision is, is steady and... Uh, it's telling your body how to study itself. And then you try the same thing, only you close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Without your visual sense helping your proprioception sense, which is your sense of body awareness, you topple over. Well, that toppling over is what these kids are experiencing all the time. They're, wow. It's just, they're, that's why they're so wobbly. And so I mentioned proprioception, and they're, they're actually – Seven senses. We all know about the five we learned in school, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sight, yeah. sound, t- t- taste, touch, feel. Um, but there's also the proprioception sense, which is your sense of your body. And there's the vestibular sense, which is um, and, and that's your body in space proprioception. And the receptors are in your joints and ligaments. And then there's the vestibular sense, which is is your sense of movement. So, those two kind of internal senses are the ones that we don 't know about and and they factor pretty large in most kids' sensory issues
1: now, if somebody was just starting to learn about this topic, say for example, a teacher or a parent who wasn 't very familiar with it, what types of symptoms um, or some examples that that i mean you just mentioned a few briefly, like toppling over on a chair but are there anything other any other Signs that a child might be having some issues with sensory processing. Any other specifics that you can give us?
0: So anytime the volume is often an everyday sense that um, they overreact to an everyday thing, or they're seeking out a sensation like they're always touching things when they walk down the, the hallway. They've all they're always running their finger against the wall to feel where right. they are. Right. Um, they're always touching other kids. They won't keep their hands to themselves. They're always moving. That sort of sensory-seeking behavior is as much a part of sensory avoiding and oversensitivity to sounds, smells, and such. Right. Then you've got that whole other layer, which is um, that they tend to be um, distracted and unfocused because if all of this crazy stuff is going on and you're in a traffic jam and the volume control is all over the place, it's really hard to focus on what your teacher is telling you to do. Yeah. it's also, um, they they also tend to have problems with transitions because once you get focused, once you figure out what's going on in your body and around you and then all of a sudden we're doing something else, mm-hmm. it's really hard for these kids. Oh, I just figured out where I was. Now I have to focus <laughs> on something else. I have to go yeah. into another room. Uh. <laughs> um, so And the, that kind of poor self-regulation, you're going to see that when they come in from recess, not that yeah. other kids don't have this, but I'm talking like really intense. They can't calm themselves down, or they mm-hmm. don't want to go out to recess because they just got quiet and focused, and and, re- and so they'll go out th- to the play yard and they'll go in a corner and put their head down. Um, right. So transitions would be another problem. Anxiety, um, uh, anger. These are these are primitive. Um, primitive neurological system responses to feeling that the world's an unpredictable place. I don't know what sensation's coming at me next. So they tend to be more anxious and defensive than other kids are.
1: Right. And it's interesting because I think that, speaking from my own experience, a lot of teachers or schools would perceive that more as a behavior issue as opposed to something that's in internally driven, behavior is, too, but um, something that's a little bit more deeper than just um, a simple, you know, behavior that is inappropriate. So it's quite interesting to hear that there are other reasons why, you know, these types of things happen. I'm just thinking of, you know, coming in from re- recess, transitions, walking down hallways, most of us would jump to the conclusion that, oh, you know, they're just you know wanting the attention, or you yeah, know, they're not paying attention, and so it's kind of um, a, a whole other level of thinking. So thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah, I would. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is behavior comes from someplace, and when you're working with these kids, it's really important to remember that to not react off their behavior, but become curious, because it's yeah. it's kind of amazing when you ask the kid what is going on in your body. They they know, and they'll have an answer, and it wouldn't occur yeah. to you. Um, mm-hmm. The sound of the air coming through that vent is driving me crazy, and it's something mm-hmm. that we block out because we have good sensory processing, but right. that pulls all the focus for that kid. And you say, oh, well, wh- why don't I just move you to another seat? Problem solved. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's one of the things that's exciting about sensory issues is a l- if you just, if you stop for a moment and ask the child what the problem is, You'd be surprised how often the, the solution
1: is no cost, <laughs> low, low cost, super simple. Yeah, yes. doesn't require an
2: aid. doesn't require extra no, money. Right. No,
1: <laughs> like, yeah, I, So I I
2: recommend to parents often if your child is having a behavior problem, you know, talk to your child so if there's a school OT that your child is working at and and have them go into the classroom and sort of look around and see what's going on and when your child is having a hard time. And often they can come up with just a, you know, really cheap and easy solution. And mm-hmm. uh often you know, that that helped us a number of times when the OT could just see, oh well, you know, this is the problem or the desk is wiggly or there's this noise coming in here or something like that. And uh mm-hmm. they can often if your if your child can't pinpoint it, sometimes they can too. And uh the yeah. teacher will the teacher will hear it from them better than they'll hear it from the parents. <laughs> so <yeah. laughs>
0: Yes, or or the child, because you know your natural reaction yeah. is what are you crazy like? How can right. you hear the sound of the right. fluorescent light?
1: Yeah. How
0: can you smell that? How can you, <laughs> how can you, you know, um, feel that? Because because they often have hyper acute senses, and right. it does sound a little crazy, but they're they're yeah. not kidding. They can actually, their head hurts if they got their hair cut.
2: Yeah, you know, right. they, yeah. It,
0: it it sounds crazy but it really is true and you had a good point about um going to the OT because it's occupational therapists who really work with these kids in the schools. If your uh, school does not have an OT who knows about sensory issues,
1: mm. my book
0: Raising a Sensory Smart Child has is just chock full of information about easy interventions yeah. and um how to work with these kids to help them become what we call sensory smart, which is understanding what your sensory needs are and meeting them in a socially appropriate way. Right. So instead of touching the kid next to you or poking Mm -hmm. him, you understand that your body has a need and what you can do to fulfill that need that's not um, socially inappropriate.
1: That's our goal is
0: to get our kids sensory smart.
2: Yeah, yeah, great point, definitely. And it's it's often so much easier to to address things from a sensory point of view than from a behavioral one. And, you know, there's always a lot of resistance in uh, in schools, but it's I always felt like, you know, it's so much easier to do this. You can just solve it this way and everything will be fine. If you go at it from a behavior mm-hmm. thing, you're going to be drumming it every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> constantly. Mm-hmm. You're going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. The kid's going to be frustrated. Stuff is going to escalate. Uh, just try this. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, go ahead. No,
0: it's okay. Um, Go ahead. So uh, the, um, you know, and the piece of that is that we have to use our resources wisely. Right. And kids are very, very motivated to be good kids that that right. get lots of social approval for mm-hmm. being able to sit still in the classroom.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, they're highly motivated. They just don't know what to do.
1: So right. when you
0: start teaching them. About their sensory issues and they and giving them tools to to address them they'll mm-hmm. run with it they will yeah, run yeah. for it because that's what they want you know it's not even the stickers. And the mm-hmm. you know and the points for the day that motivate them so much as wanting to be liked by the other kids and invited yeah. to birthday parties and have the right. teacher smile at them because yeah. the teacher knows and sees who they are inside. So yeah. um, it's a great investment. It takes a little more time. But yeah. just that curiosity of what's going on in your body, right. and uh, working with a sensory smart OT, if you can, working yeah. with my book to look up um, problems, really is a tremendous investment of a very little amount of time.
2: Yeah. yeah. And if you're if you're a teacher, you know it's those students who you like them and they seem to be they seem to want to be good and they seem to want to please and yet they're constantly doing things that work against that. Mm-hmm. That to me is like a flashing red light, that there's something mm-hmm. you know, sensory going on. That it's not and I think even oftentimes the teachers sense it that there is why is this kid doing this? It's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. it's obviously not working for them, it's not getting them what they want, they seem to want to do right and then they just at certain points in the day can't. So, um you know, that's a good time to put your uh you know Investigative cap on, and look for these sorts of things, and talk to the occupational therapist, and talk to the kid, uh, and listen. You know, but ironically, I'm just
1: going to jump in here. Ironically, mm-hmm. so many teachers will then place the child away from the group, or often, yeah. you know, at the back of the room, or uh-huh. somewhere where they're not bothering the rest of the class. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the problem compounds. So
2: yeah, yeah,
1: I think that's such a great point: is to be curious and to yeah. look for the real reason, like, what's going on with that child? Because, yeah, if you're just, oh, gosh, I'm going to put, you know, Johnny at the back of the class because he's bothering everybody around him. Well, I'm remembering <laughs> the,
2: the year my son had a desk in the back of the class with bookshelves all around. So oh, no. Nobody could see or oh, hear him. Gosh. That was a bad year. He's giving me a little wow. thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a That was a survival year. We just had to... No get, kidding. Get on to the next. but And it wasn't actually the teacher that was a problem that year. It was the parents of the other kids. So uh, oftentimes okay. parents are part of the problem. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> 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 um, oh, when should you uh, get help for a child with sensory processing disorder, and what sort of interventions are available?
0: So sensory issues are on a, a spectrum or a continuum. So, if a child is um, has a little more difficulty than most listening in a in a um, classroom environment, or they get a little too hyper or irritable in that noisy lunchroom, um, it may be doable to to just make some accommodations here and there. But if it's significantly infer- interfering with his learning. Um, and his activities of daily living at home. You know, he might hold it together at school, and then he goes home and the kid is a total (laughs) wreck. Can't do homework, can't eat, can't sleep, and then he shows up at school with all of his, you know, (laughs) all of his focus (laughs) all pulled together, and mom's like, where is a different kid at home? Right, Um, right. when, when When you have those extreme contrasts, And and sometimes it's flipped. You know, they're they're a wreck in school, but they're good at home. Um, Right. So when you have those significant, it's significantly interfering, that's when you really got to do something. And so you're accommodating, and we've been talking about accommodations, which is Mm -hmm. what schools do. And then there are therapies. And the gold standard of therapy is sensory integration therapy, which is something that is used by occupational therapists. Not too many school systems these days are offering SI therapy to kids mm-hmm. as part of working with them as part of their services. It's mm-hmm. it can be difficult to get it um it, uh, or to get as much as your child needs. You can right. get a uh, occupational therapist privately. There are things called sensory gyms where you actually take your child to this gym and they put him on a platform swing and
1: mm.
2: and they
0: get him to do things without mom around so that um, there's some social pressure to <laughs> to please the yes. nice lady mm-hmm. asking you to do something. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. So
0: so these are all options that you can think about. But I've always felt, and this was always Lindsay Beal, my my co-authors. Um, thought which was it's really about lifestyle changes that are absolutely easy to make as part of your everyday life so when my son was two she would say okay do you do you tend to go out in the evening at some point and this we lived in manhattan and we said yeah and she said so you have a little umbrella stroller that you're pushing him around in i said yes she said this is what i want you to do have him push the stroller Mm -hmm. And put some bags, if you're returning videos to the video store, put the bags in the stroller so there's some weight to it. Mm -hmm. And do that every day, and that's part of his sensory diet. So at school, if if somebody needs to put those chairs up on the table, have the sensory kid do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Have him wipe down the chalkboard or the... um, the whiteboard because that that movement of pushing the eraser gives them some proprioceptive input. So mm-hmm. you try to incorporate these things into the everyday activities in a way where where it's a cool thing that I get to wipe down the 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 right the whiteboard as opposed to you need to do yeah. that because you have sensory issues. Um yeah. so it's how so, yeah. it's presented it as much as <laughs> <Right>. anything.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, your son was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder at age two. Mm-hmm.
0: Is that right?
2: How old yes. is he now, and how is he doing with his sensory issues?
0: He is 14. He just started ninth grade, and he's doing uh, fabulously. He is—he knows his sensory issues. He's an advocate for his needs. He'll push back against me and my husband. It's <laughs> like, um, I need my my sleep. And right. no, I'm not doing that thing because my bedtime's 930, and I need to function well tomorrow. Um, wow. You know, and that's part of the sensory issues. And, and he chews gum at school, and he uh-huh. knows that if somebody objects, he's got to talk to the, the teachers and stuff. Right. So we instilled sensory smarts um, over mm-hmm. time, and I have to be honest, his sensory issues, not only aren't a big problem for him; they're no big deal, but they're actually an incredible asset. He's very gifted mm. visually, and mm. it's it's an incredible strength. His differences, and I really encourage parents to read my book in part because it's so inspiring, and, and to remember that you know the greatest chefs are picky eaters who right. are mm. tuned to every yeah. smell and texture. Um, uh-huh. So what? what is a problem for these kids when they're younger can be their greatest strength moving forward into life.
1: Yeah. Something that I often like to remind people or just even talk about in in discussions when we're talking about uh, learning issues and physical needs um, rather than looking at the deficits. And I know that we talked about this earlier this week with Temple Mm -hmm. Brannon is that Rather than looking at those deficits and working on that, also focus as much time on their strengths and their gifts yeah. because they are there and teach mm-hmm. those children how to use them and work right. with them. So, yeah. Yeah, and remember. an
0: example of that is because my son um, has auditory processing and visual processing differences, he prefers to read on a Kindle. It's low glare it's um he can adjust the font to be really small which helps the the letters stop wiggling right um and he he doesn't have the light hitting against it so he reads on kindle but then he he plays the audio a, along with it so that he's getting two sensory channels and that helps him understand the information better same thing when he watches television he wants to watch the DVD of the TV show because he always always wants to have the subtitles on. When mm. he can hear it and see it at the same time, it sticks in to his brain better. So there are all kinds of ways that you can use the strength like the visual to help with the weakness, the you mm-hmm. know like um the the auditory.
2: Mhm. Yeah, great. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um what resources would you recommend for parents and others who want to help a sensory uh a challenged child well we mentioned
0: my book there's also a exactly. facebook page for raising a sensory smart child i have a um a, there's a page for the uh the book itself um called sensory com, and then my page which is for parents is sensory smart com. so mm-hmm. there's a lot of information specifically for parents I also really encourage um, any parents who are listening to get involved with a support group, even if it's an online support group. Um, you, if you go to yahoogroups.com, it's really easy to sign up for them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in one called Sensory Integration Group, so if you want to post questions to me there. Um, oh, so really, really do try to Google get bill. those resources.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
2: Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. But yeah, those are those are great ideas for resources, and and certainly, you know, parents communicating with parents is a great way to spread this information and, and ideas. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today, Nancy. Yes, thank uh, and you. I would uh, like oh, thank to you. thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us at our regular time on Friday at 9 a.m. Uh, when we will talk with uh, Lisa Friedman about inclusive education in faith-based schools. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at momitude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. Nancy, are you on Twitter? Um, yes, Sensory Smarts on Twitter. Okay. Thank you. And uh, finally, you can download our past podcast for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.
1: Ten seconds.